Tim Doyle, welcome to the Downround podcast. Now, before we get started, we're very much listener first here. We're listener focused. So we're starting before we even ask who you are, what you do. I've got a, a listener question. Go for it. Okay. From Doug Thompson. I know. <laughs> ask him about the time he drove me to Bankstown to play cricket and I vomited out the window the whole way we were fielding, opened the bowling. I took three for 16 off six. Best spell I ever bowled. <laughs> Yeah, Is this true? Disgusting. I picked him up the night. After. He lived around the corner from me. I picked him up in the morning after a 21st he'd been at. He stunk the whole way. I think he demanded we stop at McDonald's and then vomited out my window down the side of my car. Mm. And then Penrith is a terrible, terrible place to play cricket. I think we're playing at Penrith and it's like 35 degrees. He's complaining the whole way. Glad <laughs> Doug complaining. Glad to have him out of the car. And then all of a sudden he turns in. And like the spell of his life for him is not a very high bar because he bowled like 85Ks an hour max. Clearly, he's still dining out on the story. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for that invigorating introduction to our guest today. Uh, we're joined by Tim Doyle. We wanted to do an episode about health technology for a while, trends in like online health development. So we thought rather than um, going straight off the dome as we tend to do. So we're joined by Tim. He's the founder and CEO of Eucalyptus. He was previously the head of marketing at Koala Mattresses. It's a no bad gig as well. Mattress in a box, how hard is that to sell? Mm, I mean, it got hard. <laughs> <laughs> I believe you. I believe you. Yeah. So how about you start by giving us a bit of a introduction about why Eucalyptus was like your thing that you wanted to tackle? Yeah, so Koala, I think like mattress company, but probably uniquely successful among mattress companies because solved like the convenience furniture problem beyond just the the mattress problem. So like people, I think like the mattress became a commodity and what Koala did really well was ensured that when you moved apartment that you could get a mattress and, and be sure that it arrived on the same day. Um, and so solving that problem for people for like an increasingly transient population meant that you could get the bed base, you could get the sofa, you could get um, a bit more of the house and that could build a pretty viable business. And so, and then solving that convenience problem through through some technology investment, not like enormous, but enough to make things simple and easy to track and easy to follow. Like things we take as standard in e-commerce now, quality did that really well. And so was thinking about where technology and like a fragmented customer journey, if you compare that to like going to a Harvey Norman to like where we could take that idea, where it was like uh, solve a complex um, purchase pu- purchase cycle and, and build things that people want to use. Um, we felt there was a lot of opportunity in, in health generally. And I think also at the same time, we were seeing a lot of American point solution healthcare businesses pop up that looked really similar. And so um, we felt that like the same infrastructure could run multiple of those point solutions in Australia and actually give us a better chance of building something holistic in health by building like multiple brands off one kind of shared services layer. Like I, I guess like imagine like the Shopify for for health. And so um, those two insights together led to the start and then it's kind of like COVID ramp and then figuring out what the real business is behind that over the last couple of years. Okay, I have a million questions. Well, firstly, we should say so like Eucalyptus, can you just quickly chuck us the brands underneath that? And oh yeah, sure. Uh, so started with Pilot. Pilot is men's health, uh, a lot of discretion-oriented stuff. So like large ED business, large hair loss business. I think the reason that that's first is because like very easy to solve for discretion with technology. Um, and so great totally. place to start. Um, kin, uh, contraception and fertility management, a little bit more complicated because a lot of women aren't on the right contraceptive pills. So um, finding out the information from them and 
charting them to the right medication is a more difficult technology problem to solve with the help of the doctors. And so um, logical second step software uh, skincare brand has like personalization built into it. So people get different medications based on um, and different strengths of medication based on their symptoms and based on their photos. So mm-hmm. building that, get a bit layer deeper. Uh, and then Juniper most recently is uh, obesity management uh, and also menopause uh, and much more complicated again, because you have like a lifestyle change challenge as well as um, as well as the core medication prescribing challenge. So you end up having to build like an app and infrastructure that you we otherwise didn't have. So I guess like think of infrastructure getting deeper into healthcare and then breadth of demographic expanding as that happens. And the reason it's kind of all under this kind of layer of eucalyptus, unlike I guess a lot of umbrella companies, you know, you see it a little bit with PNG and whatever. It's not that common to have such a, I guess, a public face to an umbrella brand. Um, but in essence, like, so they're running off basically similar systems. Is that the idea? The infrastructure is all kind of the same? Yeah, I would imagine them as like, I would think of them as like clones of the same infrastructure running reasonably separate with like a single view of the patient sitting underneath them all. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. One thing that strikes me with all the brands is like, they're not like essential. Mm. Uh, it's not like you go to a doctor, you get prescribed for, you know, an illness, a transient illness that happens for kind of like a month or something. Yeah. That's obviously like, an intentional strategic. Yeah, I would say the reason that is, is like, why is it not instant scripts or like uh, the long yeah, exactly. tail of medical prescribing? Um, I think there are two reasons to do that. The first is there's a very clear, like kind of like false economy that exists in telehealth for those type of conditions because people are used to going and getting that served from a GP at very low cost um, yeah. or like bulk build if possible, you know? So so I don't think the business model there holds up that well. Right, and it's like one-off basically, like you're cured, you're better. Yeah, so you're like looking at eight bucks a margin, you know? And I think yeah. that's a pretty scary spot to build a business. I think the second piece uh, that's a little bit more deliberate is it's hard to provide continuity of care in those situations. So you end up having to be very shallow. Um, you end up having to only really deal with people in a really short period of time because nobody gives a shit who the doctor is that is um, solving for their cold and flu kind of on the, you know, or even like a medical certificate, it's a really common use case there. Whereas I think in our brands, what we've tried to do is pick conditions where they have like a requirement for ongoing management. Mm. um, And so that you can actually build a relationship with both the brand and the doctor and and the kind of the pharmacy that you work with so that there's some lifestyle management around that that can, that can improve outcomes over time. I feel like another kind of commonality between them uh, and feel free to like say like, nah, that's not a thing, Raf. Just you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> ED, hair loss, weight loss. Uh, I know fertility is kind of slightly to the side, but like these are all things that people like. You don't need to necessarily solve them mm. in the, right. Like you can go, you can go bald and and still look still amazing, look great, still look actually. incredible. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, ED, similar, yeah, basically. Yeah, get, all these things you can kind of... Well, discre- you said just like basically discretionary, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I think, and I think that's right. I wouldn't call that like a, a strategy for the long term of the business. I would say it is where private healthcare spend actually pulls. And so when you typically have things that are more urgent or complicated to treat, the public system does a better job yeah. um, of finding ways to pay for that or serve you in those needs. And so our ambition over a 10-year timeline is to build many more of those type of services. But the reality is, is like the proof points required to start accessing public funding or providing care for complex conditions are very, very high. And so yeah. a lot of businesses, like a lot of, let's call it like more initially ambitious healthcare startups die of starvation on the way to regulatory approval or rebates or that type of thing. Can you give us not a specific example of like a brand, but like what's the kinds of things they do? Yeah, I think the whole space of digital therapeutics is, is a really common one where mm. um, they fall over waiting. Um, so like, there's like a reasonable body of evidence for a whole lot of digital therapeutics around things like musculoskeletal recovery and uh, there's some mental, the really great mental health ones. Mm. And 
the time to build the evidence base and then also to get doctors prescribing it and then from doctors prescribing it to the government supporting it, you know, it can be five to 10 years. Yeah. Um, and unless you have really strong commercials on the way in there, there isn't really a funding path. Um, mm. And so you end up seeing a lot of these great ideas dying in the really early stages as they, they wait for the system to change around them, which it just doesn't do. Yeah, as opposed to ED, hair loss, weight loss. I'll get to weight loss in a second, but like these are... You kind of, yeah, got to keep taking these, right? Yeah, yeah. So and it's you, just you're recurring eating, revenue. You're just eating people's discretionary healthcare spend in order to fund the building of a platform that is capable of solving more complex problems for people over time. But if you don't eat that discretionary spend where it is, then it's very difficult to fund the build out of something that may take years. I mean, we're five years in and we're probably 30% of the way to something comprehensive. And when you say comprehensive, yeah, what, what is that? What's, on, what's under that umbrella? Uh, I think like I, the really good example um, to think about is like, how do you actually treat mental health meaningfully with digital tools, right? And so there's obviously a online psychology ver- uh, part of this. There's obviously a prescribing part of it. There's like a red button process because obviously like a lot of people who will gravitate to online mental health services are those at the like very serious end of the spectrum mm-hmm. and, and the emergency end of the spectrum. Um, you probably then do need digital therapeutics to lower the costs of access to care. So but you're talking more like the American model of like everyone has a therapist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think I think that's like what you're aspiring to in some ways. Mm. But to build it takes, you know, like all of that infrastructure takes so long. And to do it in a way that is like the the government isn't rebating those consultations to begin with, right? And so you have to build it in a way that lowers the cost of seeing a psychologist significantly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to get the platform to a point where it's capable of doing all of those things while also finding econ- unit economics that makes sense takes a long time. And so... This is the low-hanging fruit. I know it's still very difficult. And, yeah, like, yeah. You no, you're right. No, 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 it's, it's, it's half a billion, but like it's the... No, you're completely fair. We are deliberately low ambition while we build in order to make sure that we capture margin along the way. Yeah. Because the other side of like long-term healthcare that comes to mind, like therapeutics that are sort of ongoing, is probably like pain management and things like mm. that. Is that also... I think another got, really good example, right? Yeah, when it's can like, I get endone? <laughs> yeah, a long way. Like, <laughs> that is that is like the lazy example for te- why telehealth needs to be regulated in yeah, a certain yeah, way, obviously. but you just can't but get them. Try, yeah, try yeah. and get endone anyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or anything scheduled for or above. Anyway, yeah. Um, yeah, I think pain management is another really good one because it's like an obvious use case for this, right? Mm, it's sure. like it's the same recurring thing more revenue. or less. Like, yeah, there's recurring revenue. Um, there is like a series of lifestyle interventions that can make a massive difference. There are some like pharmaceutical solutions that are complicated and need constant management. It is obvious, but yet like I would not feel confident that any telehealth business in Australia or really internationally has the level of infrastructure required at the moment to make that like a really strong solution better than or even like adjacent to seeing a GP regularly. Yeah, yeah, cool. Let's talk about, so pharmacies and whatnot. I think we're on record of being, did we say openly that we're anti the pharmaceutical guild? We're or? anti the pharmaceutical guild, yeah. <laughs> I don't think we're necessarily anti-pharmacists. Well, maybe, I don't know. I think we had... we had. Well, I, I got a bone to pick. I actually, well, the retail pharmacy, like the current system we have in Australia where it's like you go to your pharmacist as well as getting whatever, like your antibiotics for your sinus infection or whatever, they've also got a host, witch hazel and like cramp bark mm, and shit yeah, like yeah. that. And they're selling you nappies. And, uh, and you I legitimately like, take my Amazon returns to my local pharmacy. Yeah, yeah. Mm. You, can, they can, you can make the pharmacist who's on 200K ring up your Pepsi Max, which is, a, which is nice. Mm. You know? Well, yeah, literally the pharmacist, like a pharmacist with a degree gets my Amazon returns and tells me, oh, guy's not in the proper packaging. <laughs> anyway, but like that, re- I'm not trying to speak on behalf of you, but like any thoughts on the retail, <laughs> I, like retail pharmacy as, as it currently exists in Australia? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's really interesting because of the impact Chemist Warehouse has had, right? Mm. Um, yeah. 
So I think pharmacies used to be 70% prescriptions, 30% retail, mm. uh, and then chemist warehouse is 70% retail, 30% prescriptions. And so that obviously puts downward pricing pressure on the prescriptions, net good for patients, but puts pressure on pharmacists to build retail businesses alongside the medication management thing that they're supposed to be doing, yeah. Yeah. which then pushes downward pressure on the experience around medication management. And so I think like there's a clear need to find a way to use the education of pharmacists to lift the standard of service people are being provided. And I honestly think like I'm like broadly supportive of pharmacy prescribing because um, mm. I think that actually would be a really good way to like lower the GP burden, raise the output of pharmacists and make it less reliant on Pepsi Max to make a business. Mm. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know that you're solving this one of these already, but it, it is actually like I only learned this relatively recently that you still have to go and see a GP in order to get the pill, right, as a woman. Yeah, like, uh, yeah, remarkable, right? Absolutely absurd. There's an incredibly to... paternalistic statement in this as well where they go, well, it's a good opportunity to talk to the woman about her general health. And it's like, well, that's not applied to any other demographic. Yeah, yeah, totally. But do you is that like not a direct kind of threat to the business? If, if pharmacies are able to start prescribing some of these things be like we would be using pharmacists prescribe it so like i mean we are a scale tool for the practitioner like at some level right but do you sorry I, I should go back a step do you have gps working yep. for you yeah, yeah we have 70 August? gps yeah and they how does that all work are these working full-time for you or are they kind of what's the deal i think like the easiest way to think about it is um we run a digital clinic in in like the very true sense of <laughs> So uh, the way that GPs are employed in a regular physical clinic is they are essentially independent contractors running their own mm -hmm. um, schedule within that environment and have to produce a certain amount of revenue for the, the clinic um, by doing a certain amount of consultations. We run the exact same thing digitally. So a lot of our GPs are moonlighting uh, they're outside their normal hours or uh, mums on paternity leave. Maternity leave is the, is a really, really common example as well. Yeah, so, right. Um, and just that, that's just because they have like freedom of schedule because they can do the consultations whenever they want because they're like largely asynchronous. And so, yeah, like, cause you know, I'm looking at your business, you've had a bunch of investment and yeah. including what was it? When was the most recent round? Uh, January. January. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. so this is, uh, most people are doing down rounds, name of our pod yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did, well, I mean, flat. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I mean, like when you get into the technicalities, it, it meets the title of the pod. Because if you raise flat, well, that's why you're here, baby. If you raise, if you, it actually is a tiny bit up. Um, like at a post money valuation, it's significantly yeah. up. But like when you think about shares issued, yeah, yeah, the yeah. value of one share stays flat, and then you think the share pool being bigger. It's, but yeah, the company is worth more than when we light raised last time. Obviously, you're raising a bunch of cash. Is that mostly going into? I mean, what's yeah, going into? Yeah, Tell me. I think I, yeah, I think like building the platform is the main thing that mm. we spend money on, and I think um. Recently that, so I would call like years one and two, like figuring out online prescribing. Um, and like, you need a, obviously you need a patient facing platform. You need a doctor facing platform and you need a prescri uh, pharmacy facing, pl facing platform. And then mm. also an admin platform. So it's like reasonably complex to manage all of this stuff. And we, we spent probably two years building that. And then increasingly we're trying to build adjacent services onto the platform. So how do you build dietitian onto, onto that core infrastructure? How yeah. do you build nurse practitioner? How do you build nurse? How do you build psychologist as roles that can deliver their services in mm. a like single view? So yeah. in the app, you have chat. And then in the chat, you have multiple practitioners working on one, one person's profile. Yeah. Do they all see the information? Do they not? Can they like drop transactions into the app? Um, things like that. They, they become like quite complicated Continuity of care is a complicated thing to build. Basically. When you talk about continuity of care, is as like a patient, I'm not 100% familiar if you have this or not, but you thinking more like a, a state where people are paying whatever, 99 bucks a month or whatever, they get the prescription, but they also have effectively a dietitian or whatever, like yeah. they have this full holistic care that you're paying a subscription. Specifically in obesity, yes. Um, yeah, right. I think like you don't need a full care team for erectile dysfunction. 
it probably wouldn't serve much purpose beyond the the medication itself. But for obesity management, where you've got the drug, which is the drug is kind of like a, I would call it a trigger to to weight loss. Like it it, it drives quite a lot of weight loss, but it's doing it by lowering your appetite. Um, and so and it's one of those things, right, where like you stop taking it and you're going to put lot the weight it. back on. Um, unless you have made like significant lifestyle change. And yeah. so the, the great thing about these drugs as opposed to the exact same thing happening on a diet is that you do get the opportunity from a, like you will lose the weight initially. Mm. And so if you're able to do that, you're in a much better place to then start the behaviors. So like your hunger will be less, your like ability to exercise significantly more. And so if you've done those things, then you can really hold the weight off. But for a lot of people who go back to normal eating habits, they're going to put the weight back on. So can't, is this like one of the big drivers of growth recently? I would imagine yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's publicly, like we've launched the brand in our main obesity brand. We've launched it in Germany, in the UK, about to launch it in Japan. So Is this Juniper? Yeah, Juniper. Yeah, yeah. And, but the, on the male side of thing, it goes through pilot? It goes through pilot, but it, 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 there's a chance. I mean, the reason I'm, uh, and you can't say, but I'm, I'm wearing all of these wearables and, and tracking everything is because we're thinking about what a more, holistic male weight offering might look like okay. um, outside of pilot. Yeah, yeah right. Because I know obviously this is like the big hype at the moment. Everyone's yeah, talking yeah. about liraglutide. Or semaglutide is the – that's the one that everyone's hyped about, right? Yeah. And you've, yeah. Have you, have you re- you've recently made the jump from like Yeah, the, from liraglutide to semaglutide, yeah. Yeah, do you want to just like run us through like what? Yeah, what so just, uh, liraglutide like kind of around for quite a long time, sold as the brand name Sixenda through the company Nova Nordisk here in Australia – Delivers seven to ten percent weight loss at I think it's like five to seven actually percent weight loss at twelve months and so great but like daily injection four hundred dollars a month both inaccessible but also like results to cost payoff like not necessarily uh, in line with the interests of a lot of people in Australia so then you get do you have a chart of that uh, yeah we have lots of charts of that <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then the exciting thing about the the semaglutide kind of next molecule is um, a it's being sold quite cheaply in Australia for for diabetics. And then B, it come, it's approved for weight loss uh, through Wagovi, which is the next generation of the medication, which is being sold in America and in Germany, but not yet available in Australia. Yep. Um, and it's significantly more weight loss. You're looking at like the 12 to 15% range, once a week injection and um, more manageable cost-wise and probably side effect-wise over over 12 months as well. So I think like that's the one that's driven the, like, the craze in America and where Australians have scrambled to get access to whatever version of that they can. Yep, yep. And what is it right now? Azampic. Azampic. Is it a shot? Yeah, shot, shot. So shot, what do you yeah. get as a patient? You- so you get four needles. Um, yeah. So there's, there's one a week. The first month is just one, actually. And then it's um, you get scales and, and some shakes and things like that as well and access to an app and all that type of stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. If you stop doing it, if you don't change your lifestyle, et cetera, the weight comes back on. Is there not incentive for you guys? Like, wouldn't you rather people stay on it? Uh, I think if, you th- if the drug was a particularly high margin part of the business, I think that would be the incentive. The reality is that it's a particularly low margin thing and people yeah, get sick right. of it anyway. And so if you don't build the service layer and, and and have people paying for the service layer, you're actually never really going to be able to build a great business. So anyway. it's basically onboarding. It's like a... It's like yeah, a I would think about it as that way. And then I think like ultimately, if all people want is the drug, they're going to go to the cheapest place to get the drug. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, so commodity, like yeah. we aren't going to be able to compete with, you know, super pharmacy or, or whatever the online low cost competitor is. Mm. Uh, and so... We have to deliver something that is incremental weight loss over a two-year period over and above the drug. Otherwise, the business doesn't really work. Yeah, okay. Cool. I'm interested in like your side of the perspective of this. I noticed like a lot of stories recently about you know Novo Nordisk not being able to meet demand for it. Yeah. At least initially because all of a sudden it became kind of like the wonder drug, quote-unquote. Mm. Uh, you know, you have New York Times articles about 
This is the, yeah. like, the yeah. magic. Do you reckon Trump, uh, Elon, Trump's on it? Yeah. Elon Musk and Kim and Kardashian on the same day. Yeah, like, yeah incredible stuff, folks. Um, <laughs> is a release of supply the reason that you'd be able to start offering it? Is like, are they able to actually like... Yeah, it? so actually the reason we switched, to be honest, was Sixenda ran out in, the, in this country. And right. so the way that pharmacies buy medications is they buy them from pharmacy wholesalers, like API that, that West Farmers just basically bought is one of the big ones. And so our pharmacy network was telling us that they were unable to fulfill orders. And so we had 20,000 patients going, hey, what do I do now? Yeah. Um, and so we were like, well, there's no Sixenda anywhere. There's plenty of Azempic, it seems. And so the doctors, um, we kind of worked with the doctors to uh, transition as many of those patients over to the best medication we could find for them at the time. Um, and then obviously there's pushback against that because it's like there's a perception that um, it's taking away from diabetics. Uh, and I think like there's a couple of misconceptions to that as well. It's like, hey, it's not a first-line medication for diabetes. Um, metformin is the first-line medication. And so there's there's alternatives for blood sugar control for diabetes. The second is like I think it's like a bit of a strange quirk of society that says like diabetics are uh, does more deserve it of medication than obese people because obesity is like a lesser condition. Uh-huh. And it's like, well, it's the path to diabetes for one and two, it has far less effective medications available for it. So I think like the argument to be prescribing Zempic uh, is reasonably strong. Um, and so I was broadly supportive of the doctor's positions on it. And I think like ultimately we want to get the most people the medication that gives them the best chance of losing weight. And so it's kind of been the decision. Yeah, cool. Coming back to the, the pharmacy question, because you were talking about how like on your side, at least you would be more than happy for pharmacists to be able to prescribe things, whereas GPs are normally prescribing them. But obviously the other side of the debate is the fact that pharmacists are not very happy about the telemedicine yeah, sort of stuff. Yeah, they're not happy at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're very real. Like, they're, they're not a happy bunch generally. Like, no, it's hard I, to keep no, them happy. totally. Yeah, so like how do you navigate that kind of stuff? Obviously, that's a live debate right now. The idea that, you know, people like you guys and other online, you know, like telemedicine services that are prescribing services. Mm-hmm. Obviously, one of the, it comes up a lot now because a lot of people are getting prescriptions for um, – like CBD oil and cannabis via Oh, online. yeah, yeah. Have you, have you seen how big the CBD oil prescribers have gotten? They're enormous it, businesses. It does nothing, eh, CBD. Yeah. I mean, I, so I don't know what you guys think <laughs> is, but it. my understanding is the science is like, it doesn't really do anything. Yeah, it's weak at best, yeah. 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 I, know, I, all, I, know, I know it's I should, like the weed drug. I should, like, I should also say that like that you can get prescribed for like THC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can get, well. it's, and that's actually where all the growth mm. is, is in the yeah. medical cannabis space generally. Totally, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, great results coming through about K. But also, so is MDMA. Like, like yeah. genuinely yeah. transformational good. mental health um, mental health studies. So what's... The K stuff was crazy. What is the name of eucalyptus MDMA cannabis? Yeah, I think you're waiting a little bit longer for the... Yeah, jeez, I don't know. The pharmacists and everything, they're mad about yeah. online and telehealth and whatever. What's your response? Uh, they're mad I, because what? Yeah, lowers the barrier of entry. How do we know that, you know, it's just people filling out a form. How do we, we can't, uh, oversight? We can't sell any more Pepsi Max. We've, <laughs> yeah. we've hit our limit for how much we can sell. Yeah, exactly. Nature's own or whatever is like mad. Yeah, yeah I think like, look, this is going to sound like a, a little bit of a political answer, but I think yeah. ultimately it comes from a place of not knowing anything about the clinical governance behind these businesses. Mm. And like they, they pop up overnight and there is no general telehealth standards, right? So, the three of us, if we had the time and the coding ability, we could build a Shopify store, answer do doctor phone calls, and had a doctor could do doctor phone calls, mm. uh, and then pipe out the scripts to pharmacies, and that would take us, you know, sub a week. Uh, and there is like genuine clinical governance issues there that I think need to be solved because there is no set of standards that we're supposed to keep to. Um, and so the absence of those means there are some seriously loose prescribers out there, and I, I can see the frustration mm. because it's like, well, where how are these people being held to account for their, their prescribing decisions? I'm having to solve for them when people come in with side effects. And that, that feels real. Um, I think 
on the other side is like there's a lot of kind of like screaming about nothing um, because a lot of these businesses and particularly the more mature ones have like really substantial clinical governance investment um, as part of what they do. So like a mode of prescribing, and I think the one they get pissed off about most is asynchronous, that is neither safe nor unsafe. If you build the right systems and checks and balances into it, doing an onboarding form and then talking to a doctor over text is not really significantly different mm-hmm. to where there's photos in the onboarding form. It's not, not significantly different to doing it in a five-minute consultation uh, in a GP. Like mm. There are differences, but if you ac- increase access 100x by doing that, the trade-offs probably do make sense. The conversation is very rarely about the trade-off. Like We get called like the McDonald's of medicine all mm. the time. It's like that doesn't even make sense. Like It's not even really like a logical statement. And so I think like everything needs to get less less screamy and we need to kind of move to an actual governance system for this. But I think it is the nature of disruption in regulated industries is like the first thing that will happen is people will scream about safety because that's a lot of where the regulatory capture does come from. The product itself, obviously, it doesn't make sense because like McDonald's, you're getting effectively the same product. But like the experience of McDonald's is actually very good. (laughs) (laughs) I I don't want to sound like I'm fucking simping, by the way. You know, this should be a hard interview, a (laughs) hard-hitting interview. But like the experience of a doctor's office is not good. Like going to a doctor's office, having to fucking sit there in a shit chair and wait and you get there on time. The time means nothing. Usually, like literally, I don't think it it does often. Like once you get to the doctor's office at your time, you then get added to the queue. Mm. So you always have to wait. Like you never like walk in one minute before your appointment and then walk into your appointment. That just doesn't happen. It needed disruption. Because <laughs> oh, of, of the waiting issue? No, it's a shit, it's a shit <laughs> yeah, experience. Uh, okay. Whereas, and same as like, you know, if you go into a restaurant and you have to like sit down in some chairs and like wait to then get a table and you don't know how long it's going to take versus Macca's where you know you bang in and out. Yeah. I'm getting what I want. I know what I want. Like simple, I can order on a damn menu. We're going to anyway, ask you, Macca's I, I, yes or no? Are you a Macca's fan? I'm huge Macca's okay, fan. Well, there we go. Okay. Well, I think, I think user like, experience is good. <laughs> but I think like, like if you extrapolate what you just said to, like, I, I think one of the really interesting things we always hear is like men don't go to the doctor. And it's like, well, is is that true or do men generally do not want to do a terrible experience and women are forced into it more through stages of their life where they desperately need medical support? Mm. Um, And so my view is that, like, you build these shit experiences um, and they are shit experiences and I think, like, nobody in the medical community is is disagreeing with that, you know, walking into a doctor's waiting room is not a good experience. You disincentivize people doing any health um, engagement at all and then you then have all these downstream effects, which are like huge mental health problems within um, like the male population, huge obesity problems. Um, and you go, well, why is this cohort so unhealthy? They don't engage with the healthcare system. And then we don't really make efforts to meet them where they are. Mm. And I, I do think that is a problem. So pilot, I've been watching the test, you know, what a series. And I've been seeing a lot of ads for pilot on yeah. nine now. I don't, are they, I don't know if you know, like, are they running just on nine now? Or are they on the actual TV as well? Uh, I don't know. So, and this is going to give away like inside baseball advertising stuff, but I don't think the streaming is priced properly. The nine now advertising, like too none cheap of the, are you, are you it's too cheap. It's too cheap. Oh, <laughs> there's an arbitrage opportunity. Yeah, we, yeah, no, there almost certainly is. Yeah. Um, just because I don't think they price the scale of the audience very well. I think mm. they're not doing a great job on the measurement side. And then I think media buyers generally are very prestige and status driven. And so, like yeah. main broad, like if you're if you're media buying for Woolworths or Coles. You're not walking into the meeting and being like, we found this $10,000 cheaper opportunity. It's like, were you bought one, break one of origin? Mm. Yes or no? That's yeah, yeah, actually yeah. what all that matters. Yeah. yeah, they don't care about, or yeah, a small upsell or whatever. So, okay, cool. That's why I'm seeing a lot of pilot ads. So the ad starts, you've got a couple, you, the faces of a couple. I've seen it a lot of times. Mm. Um, I usually only watch to the lunch breaks, but sometimes, you know, it's so compelling. i got to keep watching. A couple, mm-hmm. seemingly, the outdoor couple and um, off screen, you have a gentleman being like, oh, they ask, any problem with the tent? 
Like, yeah. you know, how, yeah. how are you going with that tent, mate, basically? And obviously the metaphor here is like pitching a tent, et cetera. I get it. Goes over to him, funny comment. That guy who the actor is is actually quite funny. I've seen him around, good actor. And he says, you know, his girlfriend laughs or whatever. He's like, it doesn't help when you laugh. But my point being, obviously all the yeah. big metaphor for pitching a tent. Yeah. But why does it start with the camera on like, another couple is this like a kind of group sex situation <laughs> i think i think it is i think like it's adding to the pressure of the situation by implying it's a group sex. it's an situation. orgy yeah because it, it ends with the two guys together right uh i can't remember the ending yeah oh, i think, I think, I, think the, I think the ending is that both men go into the same tent so i do think from the beginning it is some kind of camping related group sex scenario oh, okay that's yeah. good i like but, that but now i'm gonna get, it's now gonna get disapproved by the, the channel nine <laughs> <laughs> streaming people so you've ruined my ad campaign in my oh life. they're gonna love it so much they bring it up to prime time yeah yeah, 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 yeah. With, with no additional and cost. the frequency just like that's the problem though they, they don't do a good control of they don't have good frequency control on bvod so you probably have seen the ad too many times well i see it in a row i, I don't know what they're doing over there yeah you'll see it like row, four ad yeah, breaks know, in a row but then you won't see it for an hour i know so. it's i think yeah i think that the the technology that triggers those ads is is pretty poorly built we've talked about this before about how seemingly like building out a video ad network is much harder than i think people give it credit for and that ko is still friggin' struggling unbelievable that they're like unbelievable they haven't managed to like price the inventory you know the the piece that when you like the ko screen loads and then under it it's like brought to you by toyota kazoo yeah yeah it's crazy. like they clearly can't move that piece of inventory yeah. because like it's a great spot and toyota kazoo have had it the entire time <laughs> yeah and the fill-in ads are like a stationary image of a Toyota. Yeah. As well as they still cut to like, you're in an ad break and yeah, can't sell that on? inventory. No, I, so I think allegedly, so I, I asked about this on Twitter because mm. I was like, what's going on here? Allegedly, it's when they're taking the American main feed and then it's an American ad that you can't show in Australia. Yeah, right. Um, right. And so they can't serve over the top of it, apparently. Yeah, um, okay, right. Ele- but I, yeah, that's but they're still, I mean, they were talking about doing an algorithmically generated like buy-sell um, kind of marketplace years ago and that's never actually it, happened. And it, like, yeah, I mean, like th- it's the reason, like th- the reason Meta is the business it is is because it does. It can do that. Yeah, like, yeah. So they can do it at scale. I'm like, kind of like unsurprised. At yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, well, actually, the, good, the next question I had was sort of related to big titanic businesses like Meta. Obviously, the big example of a company that's really wanted to get into pharmacy, online health, is Amazon. Yeah. And they've had like five cracks at it. Yeah. They haven't quite been able to nut it out. But um, is there any concern on your part as sort of like, I guess you could say a smaller boutique brand that's mm. very marketing driven and very like local market focused. Do you have any concerns that a company like Amazon will get into their particular approach to the way that they do yeah. sales and they do yeah, potentially you're... prescriptions for something like, you know, the the weight loss trucks. We're talking like a VC driver. now. Yeah. yeah. I am talking like a VC. It's a classic and, VC and, question, right? And this yeah. is when you have to say, that's a great question. And, yeah. <laughs> but, but it, and on the wearable side, Apple, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, We've got Chemist Warehouse though. Like we have like one of the world's most effective discount pharmacies um, mm. going already. And so I think like downward pricing pressure on medications is probably at close to its limit. Like I wouldn't think that Amazon is in a rush to come in and compete with Chemist Warehouse just because yep. it doesn't have the hallmarks of the industries that Amazon like to play. And like the reason it's so attractive to be in pharmacy in the US because like very state-based, very fragmented, yep. um, very few large national players that are able to provide telehealth services and pharmacy services effectively with the distribution network that you need. Yep. So like makes a ton of sense for them, maybe makes less sense here. Um, and, you know, like and it took us 10 years. of the pricing pressure from Chemist, Chemist Warehouse. Warehouse. But you're also kind of selling the experience. And yeah, the and you've got to build it. Yeah. We, and so so like for us to compete with Chemist Warehouse, it's not like we're going to be able to beat them on price. And yeah, so yeah. we have to have some service layer on top of that. Like I think Chemist Warehouse has largely like broken the pharmacy business model for mm. their own benefit. But the service element of pharmacy is gone. Mm. And so like 
if you've got like an eroding service element at the doctor's level and then an eroding service level element at the pharmacy, I think our job is to like think about how technology can bring back some level of service. And like actually Apple's probably the more interesting, more difficult mm. competitor in that world because yep. like if they will provide really effective health services over the next decade. Mm. Like they have the infrastructure now. It's a question of do they want to play local regulatory games with where they can provide advice, how they can provide advice, when they can prescribe, when they choose not to. And I think like- I don't think, I mean, I can't imagine Apple ever prescribing. No, exactly, right? So do we have- I can, we I can see them having like on the more- like holistic health subscription, yeah. Uh, side like the, of men, the mental health side of stuff, they're obviously going to move into that. And like, there's there's evidence that that's like where they're thinking about for fitness and things like that. But yeah, in terms of prescribing and things like that, it seems like. So where do we sit, right? I think we probably exactly sit between sit? those two groups, right? I think like we have to be. So if you think there is somebody coordinating information, regardless, like so, if Apple is the source of information and then pharmacies are the dispensing element, mm. and somebody sits between there as like the concierge of your health, I think that's where we, we view ourselves as having the biggest opportunity. So in the wearable space, what's the plan there? There's definitely no hardware plan, right? Yeah, it's like right. so we're building this performance brand at the moment, like a male performance brand, and as part of it, we did all these scans and and kind of essentially just data inputs to begin with, mm. um, blood tests, scans, all that type of stuff. And I think like super interesting, I'm, I'm wearing a whoop at the moment to provide some more data. All the data in and of itself is very interesting, but like disconnected. I think the opportunity is to sit over the top of that and be like, well, this is cor- this lack of sleep is correlating with the fact that you're doing this training, which is correlating with the fact that you're taking this medication. And, yeah. um, and that care coordination layer becomes more of an opportunity, I think, the more data inputs you have. So let's go to the VC stuff. So you said a technical down round, but... Raw numbers kind of looks fine. What's the vibe like? Now, what's happened? Why is everyone having down rounds right now? I mean, we know we've been <laughs> yeah. saying, obviously, but like, what's yeah. the vibe like, actually? So, you, so your most recent raise, like, tell me what that experience was like. Yeah, so... Was it, how was it different from the one So before? we raised right at the top, right? So we yeah. raised in December of 2021, November yeah. of 2021. So mm-hmm. right at the top. And that was at a... I think it was like at the time, like a 10 and a half times revenue multiple for mm-hmm. like a, you know, like what is essentially a DC health business. So um, high. Yeah. Um, and... Obviously saw multiples collapse through 2022 and everyone, you know, everyone knows that these multiples are collapsing around everywhere and falling to like what is like probably a more realistic level. And I think the challenge when you're sitting on a preference stack, an amount of cash and a growth profile in the business is like, what is the combination of those three things that best positions you to be able to raise money again? Mm. Um, And so in end of 2021, it's growth at all costs, right? So you've really geared the business up to do things quickly. So for us, that means more brands, more marketing spend, more markets, all that type of stuff. Like how big can we get? How fast using how much capital? If we can burn through $50 million in nine months and get 3x growth, that's a, that's a win, right? Yeah. So obviously that shifts and there's like, a, you know, a much more of a focus on fundamentals. And so you have, you start to have this view that like growth is still important. I don't think you can ever escape being in a venture backed business. Like, of I course. Think, so you, 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 the minimum you can probably be growing is 70% year on year. Um, and so, and then you're like, well, every dollar of margin that I can pull out at 70% year on year will help me with my ability to raise in the future. And mm. so you're just building for a more structurally sound business, but one that is slowly, slower growing. And so we made that pivot in June of 2022. And like, can I ask this? So like your investors and you've got some like pretty well-known yeah. Australian kind of investment yeah. and you did have, you got some international ones. Yeah. Bond. Um, so, uh, like known to be the Mary Meek, Mike Fund, the Mary Meekers yeah. Fund, uh, and then New View, which is an NEA. Yeah, it's like medium size, medium like one large US growth fund and one medium size US. Uh, and yep. are they? Did you literally have you know conversations for those guys who are on your board or whatever those investors who are like? The time of growth is over. Like we want to see free cash flow or whatever. Like or we yeah, want to see the, the prospect that, of free cash flow. It's not that brutal. Like they're not like, like I got married in Sweden in the middle of last year. Um, we had a board meeting the week before my wedding and like 
through Q2, we could see the markets kind of continuing to fall apart. Like mm. there was still talk in March that it was a blip and that it would come back. By June, it definitely wasn't coming back. And mm. so yep. the step that I had taken to kind of deal with that was that I had like signed a con- uh, term sheet for $20 million of convertible uh, of debt. Um, mm. So essentially just to give us a ca- cash buffer to get through to what we thought was going to be a more stable point in the markets. That term sheet got pulled post-signing, which is like rare and annoying, yeah. um, which meant that at a board meeting um, while I was in Sweden, we like made the decision that we had to kind of uh, reduce our headcount costs by like 25%. So that was brutal. You know, you obviously see the markets collapsing. I know that it's obviously like everyone's talking about yeah. this kind of pivot from kind of growth to a more sustainable business or whatever. Are people on the blower to you saying that you have to change your business or is it just you're just picking up on vibes? So you, you're mostly picking up on vibes and mm. then... Like the way that the VCs tend to work, and I think the good ones in particular, they're pattern matching for you, right? So they're being like, elsewhere in the portfolio, this is happening. Yeah. Does this information help you? And then board meetings um, are where you this is gets pushed to an actual decision. And like, so you present scenarios. So I think we presented a, a more significant scenario of a cut um, and then like a, a no cut scenario, pretty much knowing in the, going into the middle one was going to be the one that we had to do. Mm-hmm. Um, have the discussion. Uh, in our case, the discussion was, what is the tolerable level of burn? given a certain growth profile. So we were like, we're pretty confident we can continue to grow 100% year on year, but to do that, we will need to continue to burn. And like the burn will be a third of what it once was, but uh, it won't be zero. And that's what people signed off on. And then the mechanism to get to that was our headcount bill was somewhere between three and $5 million a month range. Mm -hmm. That had to go down by 25% to get to a point of sustainability. Okay, 25% is not too bad in the scheme of things. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I say that. This is people's lives and, you know, down around, you know, we, we care about the worker. And obviously that's tough. Like, Oh, and it's culturally like, like, I think the one thing that I have seen, and people spoke about this a lot during the cycle when it was happening, yep. but companies that have had to cut twice, like have just destroyed internal trust. Mm. Um, and so like the cultural impacts of, because also a lot of these people who joined startups during the the boom the good times, years, yeah, yeah. like, they went in with a perception that it was going to be like some kind of, you know, rocket ship. Like the risk every, you know, nine out of 10 stars fail mentality kind of had drifted out of our world mm. and and gone to like this, like, you know, free breakfasts and, um, and Foosball vest, vest tables, and shares you're all and, good. Yeah. Yeah, and rest and vest. And, you know, and like that, that dispute overnight so it was pretty brutal culturally for a lot of like, I think what ended up getting termed like by the painful um, all in people was like the, the, <laughs> the, like the tourists of the, of the startup world. Yeah. And do you feel like this is going to be the norm just for a while now? Is it like a full reset? Yeah, I, I think like it's fair value. Like I actually think the yeah. market is probably quite fairly priced in most cases mm. now. Like we've seen the best businesses in the world kind of start to accelerate uh, their multiples again, but like they're incredible businesses. Like Meta is an incredible business. Yeah. There won't be another one of those built. Like, you know, we might get one of those built a decade for the next three decades. And so I think like they deserve the... Um, the prices that they get. And then everybody else has kind of got strong elements and weak elements. Like I think like the classic examples of like the Twilio's of the world mm. where it's like they were crazily priced. Yeah. Yep. Um, and it was because they pattern matched to them like owning an important piece of infrastructure on the internet. And then it turned out that margin control in that infrastructure wasn't that good. Yeah, yeah. And so they got crushed and like yeah. they deserved it. And so I'm like, I'm pretty happy with where the market actually has has landed. I guess like the question is like how many great ideas, I see a lot of seed stage companies. I don't see that many like truly venture scale ideas mm. um and like venture scale is a, is a high That's bar big. right and like and people often like don't understand how high the bar that actually is but to take the the variety of bets they need to take the scale that those bets are going to get to has to be massive i mean we, i think we mentioned it about like google killing google domains where it's like oh you know buying a domain from google or whatever seems like it matches perfectly strategically with their business mm. and blah 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 but at the end of the day 
Google are interested in businesses that are going to have a billion users and buying and selling domains, even though it matches so perfectly strategically with the rest of their business. It's not a billion user business. It's yeah. not going to be a billion user business and requires customer service. So Exactly. That, that's out. If you want scale, like, like you, you need to be need thinking big. You need a massive big. TAM, right? Like, like even individual versions of our brands mm. are not venture fundable. No way is Pilot a venture back. So the venture fundable is a large percentage of people paying a $99 a month or whatever to have like a Big or more? I don't know. Yeah, I, don't yeah, know what, yeah. I don't know what the Excel spreadsheets well, yeah. say. Um, like, is that is that well, like a fund return? A, right? a, a vertical SaaS business that just does hair loss it is not a business. Right? No, of it's course, right? Yeah. Of course. And, and, and like, actually, I think a lot of the point solution vertical SaaS businesses that were funded in the boom times on crazy multiples. TAM is going to be their problem. Yeah. Like if you're the problem, if you're the company that solves, you know, like niche user feedback surveys post purchase, <laughs> and you have raised at a four hundred million dollar val, it's like. There's never going to be enough profit yeah. profit in that business for it to justify that. If price. you do like a single page website with a bunch of links <laughs> that people put in their bio, really, but like, like, so so the, the reason that's venture backable, right, is because it's it controls blah, blah blah blah. Well, it controls an extremely thin, extremely high traffic part of the business. So like, if you two had come to me with that that idea and you had 100 million users, I'd be like, well, maybe they can build out a layer of value in mm. one of the two directions that they control, but and maybe people will pay for that. And I'm willing to give you money to bet on that, and and like it's a zero, it's a zero or a or a yeah. unicorn, right? It's it, there's no in between filling tree, mm-hmm. and yeah. I like that's cool. Like that's a good venture capital bet in my yeah. mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the shit venture capital bets are the ones where it's like at max that was going to do fifty mil of True. revenue, yeah, and I think yeah. that's where the category has made mistakes, and that's why I talk about like breadth of ideas is like are there actually enough? Yeah, yeah. If you're like a warehouse management kind of platform that's only for SMBs in like the woodworking space or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we saw a lot of funding for that type of stuff. Yeah, totally, totally. So is that, is that the plan, the idea that, like, we all kind of just have a subscription? If it's more than just, like, hair loss and ED and et cetera, it's like I pay one of Eucalyptus brands yeah. just to kind of full health and, and you, I, you know, ideally plug into we, the yeah. Apple API or whatever and get my... Yeah, we're thinking, like, concierge, right? So we're thinking, like, like I, I think the example that I, like, like the best is, like, okay, um, I am trying to get back into going to the gym and I want to understand, like, A, firstly, what supplements I should take, but B, I wake up one morning and my shoulder hurts. What do I do? I probably need to speak to some type of practitioner reasonably quickly, but still probably some practitioner who understands like what's been going on for me and where I am in my my journey. And that's probably like going to a physio, but that could probably be done digitally. And then if there's a prescription that needs to happen because it's pain related, then that could probably be done digitally as well. And so we're but thinking, it's not like, it's not like pay per. Well, are you thinking it, like no? Wait, I, mean, I, think like, I think like membership is like a good way, place to go if we can get there. Right. Yeah. The reality of our business is like because we do make these point solutions, the suite of brands may be enough. You know, we may actually never have to get to something like truly um, transformational for it to return decent dollars. Mm, like we may just be losses like popping. Yeah, but and also like the other businesses are solid, right? Like none of them individually are very interesting, but the sum of them together, even X weight loss, is a big enough business to be like. I can understand why that's backable. If they can do four more wellnessy ish businesses along the way, they might make it. But ultimately, the upside case, if you want to believe that, like where a part of the Australian healthcare system over a 10-year timeline is that we have to be providing a single place to get a wide variety of services in an affordable way, probably through some type of membership. Yeah. The, what, this is just like, probably should have asked this one earlier, but do you have any interface with like private healthcare insurers and, um, well, I, I guess Medicare generally? So Medicare generally, not yet. Yep. Private health insurers, like, so 
we had a long conversation with NIB and then it just led to them buying one of our competitors. Cool. Um, so that was, you know, not the exact interaction you want as, an, as the first one. I think like there is a problem for private health insurance, right? Where it's like a, it's an industry where demand has fallen consistently over the last 20 yep. years. Young people don't get any value for it. Um, there's a cross subsidy problem where young people have to cover the cost of old people. Yeah. Um, the death spiral. Yeah. Yeah. People refer to it as the private health insurance death spiral. Definitely. Mm. Like probably the wrong industry to using the death spiral. Um, <laughs> Uh, or the right but, one. Who yeah, knows? who knows? Yeah, it's probably appropriate. Um, <laughs> and so I think there is a fundamental question of like, what does coverage for young people's health actually look like? So and are you, any of them bold that, enough to... Is that a plan, insurance? Uh, I mean, like, I would say you have to solve the service problem first, right? So mm-hmm. you, you have to be able to deliver large parts of people's discretionary health care for low cost to be able to then say, hey, I'll also take over your hospital cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I don't think you can do the second one before you've done the first one. Sure. So like, if it all works, then like, yeah, sure. You know how there's that, that there's that adage that like all businesses end up as financial services businesses or all yeah. end, up, end up as payments businesses? Or an ads business. It's like the three things yeah, you can do. Yeah, they're the three yeah. things you can do. <laughs> yeah. um, and so our version of that would be an insurance, uh, would be a payments business through insurance. Got it, yeah, um, yeah. Actually, on the all businesses are, we have like a an ongoing kind of, hypothesis that also another thing that all businesses are are um affiliate marketing in a way <laughs> and i that leads me to uh jenny craig oh yeah you you guys bought them yeah so we'll bought a ba- bankrupt business yeah i'm happy telling this story because it's like it's fine it's done now we found out they went bankrupt or going bankrupt so the u.s entity went bankrupt mm. and then it's in um it's in receivership here and uh, or in, in, in administration. Um, we talked to the administrators. Uh, they're like, there's clinics, there's frozen food, and then there's the customer list and the brand. Mm. Um, but actually, if you buy them, you'll get none of them because the US entity, there's no master license agreement between the US entity and the Australian right. entity, and we can't contact the US entity because it's in administration as well. Mm. So you'll have to take a bet that whoever buys it in the US is willing to work with you and work on a licensing agreement or whatever. Mm. Um, and so we're like, oh, geez, that discounts the value of this entire thing. Well, maybe there's some value in the food. And then we bought a lot of the food and the food was terrible. Sure. And you had to go to a Jenny Craig store to pick it up. So you couldn't even get, there was not even like a proper e-commerce infrastructure in place. Yeah. And so how many, there was- How many retail locations do they have now? I think it was like something like 100, 100, 100 stores, 80, 80 to 100 stores. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. the, co- um, the cold chain is expensive, right? Like, yeah, but they're doing it through contract manufacturing. So it's like, it's not, yeah, right. it shouldn't be that expensive. Yeah. Last mile should be solved. Yeah, it's kind of like, the yes. Um, and so that discounted it again. And then we're like, well, there's some value in this. And then if we can, there's, there's upside in negotiating with the new buyer to be able to see if we can build something. So we're thinking about like relaunching it as a food business again. Oh, um, you are thinking food. Yeah, I mean, you do shakes and stuff, right? Yeah, we, and, and I think like, I think what's going to become evident in this, like we were talking about it earlier, but like what's going to become evident in this like new age for weight loss is that like people need to get enough protein to stop the muscle atrophy mm-hmm. happening. Um, and so people need to get enough protein, they need to be doing, going to the gym um, or they need to be doing some exercise. And I think there's a, my muscle chef would be 90% men. Yeah. Um, and I think there is a, my muscle chef for women, for middle-aged women that could do quite well, and maybe that's the place to take Jenny Craig. Mm. Yeah, right. Because my assumption, when I saw the news, <clears throat> you guys had quite it. My immediate assumption was like, "Oh, is Jenny Craig? Are you just getting them a for the email list yeah. or the member list? And b is it just becoming basically an Ozempic shop front?" Essentially? Yeah, and I think it, it, that was our base case going in. Okay, um, and we we found a bit more there than um than we had originally. Okay, cool. Thought. So like. I think Do you, are you getting the crazy. emails? Yeah, no, we got the emails. You got the emails. Yeah, yeah. Okay, the email, cool. the people are getting the emails now. Yeah, yeah. And there's a pop up yeah. on the What's website. What's the conversion? Uh, it's a very, it's a, it's like a very low conversion as you'd right. expect straight out of the gate because it's like they're getting emailed by a new entity. Yeah. But there's like there's a process you go through to get that up. And mm. um, we've actually been surprised by the open, like the open rate, like open rate's been really high. It's like a 25 year old email list. 
So Did like, you know, like what the average age? Yeah, it's like 55. Yeah, yeah. okay. What we did Is that a new demographic for you guys? Uh, no, Juniper, really? that's, that's like kind of in the middle of Juniper's okay. demographic. Um, but oh, because Juniper trust, does like menopause. And yeah, stuff, yeah, right? yeah. So the trust, the, but the trust for the Jenny Craig brand historically is just enormous. So like, mm. and actually like, I don't know like how much attention you pay to those like marketing numbers, but people say that there's like a, a percentage point of brand awareness is like, there's often thrown around that like costs a million bucks to build a percentage point of brand awareness. Mm. Mm. And I, I don't necessarily think, I think that's wrong. Um, I think it's much less than that, but it is expensive. And so to be able to get some form of deferred trust from from that brand, I think it has some value to us and we were happy with that making the investment case. Yeah, nice. So like, what do you think about then Twitter rebranding to X? I like, I, like, How many percentage my, points of brand awareness? <laughs> my only like, my only real take there is that like, it feels like an incredibly rich person who is extremely uncool being like, well, I can do this. Yeah. Like I will pay, like I will buy the whole class lunch, you yeah. know? And it's like, and it's like, but like I will, not only that, I will actually change the social structuring of the whole thing so that the people that I like are, um, and the people that review me are preferential treatment. And it's like, that's an extremely weird thing to do, but whatever. It's not sure. a huge amount of money for him. It's like, what, 4% of his net worth? Yeah, that's the thing, yeah. Um, so do you, right now on down rounds, guarantee that you will not restructure the entire organization um, and buy a brand to make you feel cool? I, it's not. It's not out of the question. <laughs> so no. I mean, we, like, we, I've like I've sponsored some. I've sponsored some sporting teams out of a, a demand to involve myself in those teams. <laughs> oh, that is a classic rich person kind of move. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you prep yourself well. No, but the like we did it. We sponsored the Cronulla Sharks, and um, it's actually been an incredibly good. We've done two with, with, with which brand? With Pilot. With Pilot. We, so we did Richmond and Cronulla Sharks last year, and like Richmond as a test for like the prestige known brand in Australian sport and Cronulla Sharks were like a little bit of the more, let's see how it goes, mm. um, much more willing to work with you organization. And they've been actually so good to work with. Yeah, like, nice. cause like all that you really care about now is like, are they willing to make content for you? Mm. And like the Cronulla Sharks will make any piece of content you ask them to make and like, and distribute it and help you with it. And then like the prestige brands are like, Oh God, no, like mm. we will not associate with that. It's like, well, we're paying you money. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah, right. So I think like, the future of actually sports sponsorship was, I think it's like, it's like the Wrexham thing, right? Where it's like, if you can own a bit of a narrative around a sporting organization and really build it with them, there's much more to be gained there than paying, you know, what historically the prestige brands. So Cricket Australia, mm. the big four AFL teams, Brisbane Broncos. Um, I feel like people pay less for that in the future and more for stories that they can really be a part of. Like yeah. nine now. Yeah, like nine now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>